everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Behind the Grind podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Paige. And I'm Niharika. In today's episode, we're joined by the lawyers from WLW Migration Lawyers. The firm is an award-winning specialist immigration law firm who offers services in over 10 languages, which we think is pretty impressive. As a new firm that started in 2015, they have a fresh approach to their practice, which you'll hear all about throughout this episode. That's definitely right. WLW Migration Lawyers offer services in corporate and personal immigration, as well as visa cancellation and appeals. They are definitely the experts in their field, so we'll jump right in and let our guests introduce themselves. My name is Jessica Williamson, and I'm the CEO and co-founder at WLW Migration Lawyers. We're a specialist immigration law firm, and we've been going now for about five and a half years. Amazing. We are so excited to find out a little bit more about what you guys do, but we'll get started with finding out more about you. Our first question is always coffee related. It just relates to our name, but if you could only have one coffee order for the rest of your life, what would it be? Okay. Well, despite having worked at lots of cafes, so I should be kind of fancy with my order, but I just go regular latte, keep it simple. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think sometimes just having like a solid coffee order, it's reliable, you know it's always going to be made well and you're good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, I don't drink coffee, so I don't have a good coffee order. I think it'd just be like hot chocolates with like strictly pink marshmallows. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) smart. (laughs) Well, this can also be coffee as well, but what drink do you think best describes you? So it could be a type of wine, a cocktail, beer, juice, water, whatever you like. What do you think best describes you and your personality? Well, I do like to find things to celebrate and maybe even make up really minor things into something to celebrate. So I think (laughs) probably champagne. I'll like always have a bottle in the fridge for whatever comes up in the week or with friends. So yeah, probably champagne. Lovely. Well, a little bit less drinks related, but what's a childhood (laughs) dream you never got to accomplish and maybe just yet? So you might do it later, but what's a childhood dream you haven't gotten around to yet? I think this one is like run away from me, but I used to love volleyball and I was always sort of waiting to hit my growth spurt and it pretty much just never happened. I think I started (laughs) growing maybe late primary school and so I have an unfulfilled dream of being like a professional volleyballer and I don't think I will ever go on to (laughs) it. I never realised volleyball was a height thing. Oh, yeah. They would take like all the basketball rejects that like were tall, but maybe weren't as into basketball and then train them up in volleyball. Yeah, I was never tall enough to make the cut. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, I'm pretty short myself. So anyway, our next little question, and it's a shame Paige isn't here for this one because it is her favorite question. But what word or saying from the past do you think should make a comeback? We've had some interesting ones. We've had people say that they'd love to say bonza or they'd love to say like you're the bee's knees. I feel like I'm probably still stuck in the 90s a bit with stuff that I say. So I'm not sure like, I don't know, maybe like grouse. (laughs) Grouse? Oh my God, I haven't heard that in so long. That's a good one. That's a good one. Would you use it in a client context? You know, if I was trying to maybe have a little chuckle to myself, I'd throw it in there. But working with migrants, they're probably not going to understand. I would then have to explain it. Maybe just to work context. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that's lovely. I feel like we definitely know a little bit more about you and your personality, which is great. But we'd love to find out a little bit more about the firm. So obviously, there'll be quite a few differences between yourself as a migration law firm and some of the commercial, the other commercial law firms that we've had on in the past that are a bit more broader. But with that in mind, what three words would you use to describe your firm? 
It's a really good question. There's so many (laughs) things that come to mind, but maybe things that clients repeat back to us that feel important to them and things that staff talk about. I think that stand out maybe that we're compassionate, which maybe isn't always a word you'd associate with all lawyers. I mean, I know there's lots of wonderful lawyers out there inclusive. So we've got a really wonderful, diverse staff and clients that we work with. And I think maybe creative would be the third word. Immigration sort of requires you to always be thinking outside the box a bit because it changes so much. Yeah, that would probably be my third word. Yeah, no, those are great. And I'm sure you have to use that creativity when it's different circumstances for each person as well. So it's not just the law changing all the time, it's all the client's needs changing all the time as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can sometimes apply the same strategy, but it's not as common as you might think. For sure. We'd love to know what's a myth about working in the law that your firm dispels. So whether that's like a personality trait lawyers have or work-life balance, one of those kinds of myths that students might have about what working in the law might be like. Well, when we started the firm, we were trying to bring the best of what we knew community law firms offered. So my background and the other two partners that we started the firm with, we'd all been community lawyers in um, not-for-profits. And so we knew what we loved about working in that environment. Um, and we knew a little bit about more commercial environment. And we saw some great things in that environment. And we're trying to, I guess, bring the two things together. So bringing lawyers that, I guess, have that really client-focused, caring, compassionate way of working, but also maybe slightly better resource than, say, a typical not-for-profits. But I think it's the values for us that really perhaps were important when we started the firm and maybe dispels a myth that, you know, lawyers aren't values first and, like, values driven. Yeah, that caring and compassionate sort of attitude is the starting point for our work with our clients, something that we're kind of proud of and that we, you know, brings out the best in our staff, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure your clients really appreciate that you do take that approach with all the work that you do. You kind of touched on this just then about what the firm is the most proud of, but outside of your values-based approach, is there anything else that the firm is most proud of? Maybe it's a really significant matter that you assisted on or you know, all the work that you do is so important. Maybe it's just all the work. Yeah, there's definitely been lots of really great moments that come to mind. I think that I mentioned that we were trying to bring sort of community and commercial together under one roof. One of the ways that we've done that as a firm was starting what we've called in-house bridge projects, so offering low bono assistance to key migrant groups. And that was a huge project that we started when we started the firm and we sort of took on hundreds of people under this model and probably bit off more than we could chew for a while there and it sort of took on a life of its own. But the outcomes and the work that we've achieved under that project, we're really proud of. We got some recognition through the Elkma Thought Leadership Award just before COVID, so nearly probably two years ago now. I think that was really nice because our the project was just mainly like good old-fashioned work. It wasn't like a whiz-bang kind of technology. Yeah solution or some kind of really fancy product. It was just about how to offer really good value, high quality services to people that needed it and didn't really have somewhere else to go. So I think that stands out as something we're pretty proud of as a firm. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you have that little bit of recognition for it as well, because all of that is so, so important. So it's really, really great. I'm glad that that's happening <laughs> you guys. To find out a little bit more, we'd we'd love to narrow in a little bit on your practice area. So can you give us mm-hmm. an overview of what migration law really is? What does it involve? What are some key issues that are going on? Sure. 
it's an area of admin law, I guess, as a starting point, which I'm not sure how much I really loved admin law at uni. I felt like it was a bit overwhelming at the time when I was studying it. It's such a dense kind of area to study. But it is an area of admin law. So we're dealing with government decisions, tribunal appeals, and we're regularly in the courts. So migration law is actually one of the most litigated areas of law in the federal circuit court, federal court, high court. So even as like a first year lawyer, I found myself instructing in a high court matter. That's the sort of thing that is not unheard of. But migration law is definitely a really kind of contentious area of law because it's very much affected by politics and government policy and how that overlaps with the way that migration law is implemented. And then because it's so litigated as well, there's constantly changing parameters that are coming out through the courts. So it's a really kind of dynamic, fast-paced area to work in. But perhaps one of the best parts of it is that at the end, you're really just working with individuals, people who are looking to generally build a better life for themselves or their families and getting a visa to Australia or being able to stay here is one of the important parts of that journey or plan for them. So as migration or immigration lawyers, it's really lovely that you kind of build really strong relationships with clients. So it's really personally fulfilling, but then it's also very intellectually challenging. So you kind of get that balance, which is really kind of awesome, exhausting sometimes, but awesome. Yeah, I mean, my parents are immigrants. I immigrated to this country myself. So I know the value in what you do by giving people that opportunity is insane. My life has been completely turned around because of the sacrifices and changes my parents have made. And having lawyers that can help facilitate that process for the people that need that help is just your flow and effect that you're having from that is huge and probably huger than you imagine because the people are going out and achieving all these things that they do because you've like helped them be able to facilitate that. Yeah, we're really lucky as well to have a lot of our staff who themselves migrated to Australia or their parents did. I think that's been a really important part of building our firm as well, to have that input and that perspective that going through the immigration process yourself brings to how we deliver services to people and make sure it's tailored and culturally, religiously, you know, all the other requirements that people have, make sure that it's appropriate and suitable for people and accessible. Yeah, I mean, that's all important, right? That cultural lived experience has so much to play in what the law does and or at least how people interact with the law. So it's great that you have that mindset. I'd love to know, though, personally, what kind of drew you to this area of law? How did you kind of decide that migration law was the thing that you wanted to do? Was it a subject at uni? Was it something you sort of fell into? I mean, I feel in a way I'm an accidental lawyer. It wasn't like a lifelong passion to become a lawyer, but I certainly had a bit of a, I guess, a social justice framework. And I think why I got into immigration law and actually started with refugee law. Before starting the firm, I worked just in refugee law, a place called the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre for many years. Yeah. And the other two partners that started the firm here, we were also there. So that was really the the starting point for us professionally in this area. And I really, I think, was drawn to working in refugee law because we had a family friend who was a refugee when I was growing up and sort of hearing about his experiences and what his family had been through. Meeting the family was a kind of a pretty, I guess, formative experience and really was 
a point of difference to what was being discussed in the media, how people talked about refugee issues and people seeking asylum. And, you know, just seeing that firsthand kind of experience was something that made me realise, oh, if I go on to study law, this could be something I could actually help and contribute in this area. So, yeah, I was very lucky to work at the ASRC for many years and loved it there. And now since we started the firm, we still do a lot of refugee law work. Maybe 30, 40% of the firm's work is still in that area because we just love it. But we offer all sorts of other migration services as well. Yeah, I think that's probably why that personal experience. And then once you start working in this area, you realize, like you said before, you really can contribute to somebody's life. And that's a pretty powerful thing for the lawyer. For sure. This is a little, I guess, a bit of a spin-off question, but did you find that experience at law school tricky? I know a lot of law schools kind of pushed for that, for you to become a commercial law graduate and work at one of those law firms and practice in corporate law, kind of those practice areas. Did you find that tricky to say, okay, well, I'm going to do migration law or refugee law. I'm going to do something different to what I guess the majority of the cohort does. Did you find that a struggle? Because I know some students that do find that push towards or the pressure towards becoming a corporate lawyer to find value in your degree, whereas their actual Mm. is something more public interest related. That's a good question. I think I studied at La Trobe and I think they had maybe especially then, I'm not sure now, but there was certainly a lot of electives and subjects that I could do that aligned with my interests at the time. But certainly I found some other areas really challenging to study because I didn't necessarily have the same level of passion or drive for those subjects. And I think it certainly, it was harder to know how to navigate law school or the path, the steps to take afterwards to get into that, into a career that wasn't, as you say, into commercial law. But I started volunteering through law school. That kind of opened my eyes to the CLC world and how to kind of start to navigate that space. I think volunteering was kind of my way of working it out for myself a little bit. That's, I think, a little good bit of advice in that in itself, kind of figuring out what you like, giving things a try, whether that's volunteering or something else and seeing if it finds a place for you and and if it's interesting for you. Based on that, maybe, what's one thing that you wish people knew about migration law? I know one thing I would think about when I hear migration law is that it must be very emotionally exhausting. And I personally think I would cry every day. Maybe are there strategies that you have to to counteract that migrate, that emotional toll? Or what's maybe one other thing that you wish people knew about migration law, a misconception you can try and change? Mm -hmm. Certainly it can be emotionally taxing and there's definitely tears, happy tears and sad tears <laughs> from time to time. And I do think that self-care is really important and perhaps something I've learned the hard way. I have gone through some burnout in my career and had to work out what some good personal boundaries were and ways of dealing with stress. And I think that's a constant work in progress. There's always the case that kind of gets you some where you, you can form really strong connections with clients. So that can be hard. So I think, yeah, that could be amazing be a misconception that it's all doom and gloom it kind of isn't there's so much great stuff that goes on and as a firm we really try and focus on our role what we can control what we can offer to clients and then celebrating the wins you can really get into like a hamster wheel mentality in immigration law just onto the next case onto the next case what am I doing next Um, and maybe that's lots of areas of law and we try and take a moment to go hey like what great things happened today happened this week share stories pep each other up if someone is having a crappy day so I think that's maybe really important that yeah the lows can be low but the highs can be super high and I think that you need to kind of focus on that and that kind of can drive you for another day if that makes sense 
Yeah, um, and I'm sure that leads to a really great culture within the firm as well with everyone there to support each other and celebrating each other's wins, not just their own. I think so. I mean, one of the standout things of our firm is our team. We've got a team of legends here that we have a lot of fun with and we really, well, I really missed everybody through COVID. It was hard to work remotely and not have that day-to-day camaraderie. I think you need that also for self-care and debriefing in the moment and moving on. We've got a great team here. We're very lucky. Yeah, no, that's so great. I think this question might be a little bit narrow, so you might not have too much to add. But what types of clients do you work with? So obviously they're the individuals that come in that need help with visas or whatever else it might be. But do you work a lot, I guess, maybe with the tribunals? I presume you don't work too much for like the other side. Yeah, definitely. We're in the tribunal all the time. So the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, also the Immigration Assessment Authority is another tribunal we're in, and certainly the courts, so Federal Circuit Court, Federal Court, High Court. Most of our work is applying for visas directly to the Department of Home Affairs, sometimes uh, writing to the Minister for Immigration directly for matters. And then in terms of our clients, yeah, as you mentioned, we've got lots of individuals or families. We also do corporate immigration law. So we work with lots of businesses that might, you know, be looking to sponsor employees within their business. So skill shortages and areas where they need people, um, Maybe they can't find someone local to to fill a certain role. And even in that space then, so we can work sometimes doing audits of businesses that have people on visas. So through um, like employment law related issues when it comes to migration, mergers and acquisitions when it comes to migration and like criminal law when it comes to migration as well. So there's some quite neat overlaps with other areas. I think those are probably particularly criminal lawyers and employment lawyers. We work quite closely on referrals from those types of practitioners. I think those are the main overlaps. Sometimes some family law as well. If there's been, say, some domestic violence or family breakdowns, we can sometimes work alongside those lawyers too. Yeah, no, that sounds so interesting. I had no idea. Mm. But like, I mean, I know businesses sponsor people's visas, but I didn't really think about the lawyers that would be involved in making that happen. So that's um, a really interesting point that I like that you brought up. The other thing I wanted to ask was, on average, how long does a typical, I guess, matter or case last um, in migration law? Or is it just really, really varied because it depends on each person? Yeah, super, super varied. And depends mainly on the type of visa process they're going through. So the type of visa, some visas we can get an outcome the same day or the next day, but other visas, I think my longest client was actually a client when I was at the ASRC and then he came across when we started the firm. I think we worked together for about 11 years. Okay, wow. But yeah, his stuff just kept going and going. So it's really, really varied. No, but that, I mean, I guess that keeps it interesting because you can balance some of the longer ones with some of the shorter ones and and hopefully balance those wins and the the longer ones. You did touch on this a little bit about the other practice areas that um, and other types of lawyers that you interact with in immigration or migration law. Who are some of the other people that you interact with? Maybe like law enforcement, other embassies, other countries' embassies? Is there a lot of that involved? Is there a lot of like diplomats? Does that all play into it? Not especially. I suppose sometimes, yeah, our clients might visit embassies of other countries to get documents. 
that can happen a little bit, but not particularly often. Yeah, we certainly work with Border Force sometimes on issues, Victorian Police on some issues where, you know, we've got clients in prison and detention centres sometimes, so we have to interact with the people there. I think you have to work in a somewhat holistic manner when you work in immigration law. So we certainly work very closely with psychologists, counsellors, social workers, GPs. Those are probably the other main professions that we cross over with um, for clients. That's really interesting as well when you have kind of a team of people working with an individual and you're all coming at it from a slightly different professional angle but with the same overall view of, you know, supporting that person. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I actually didn't even think about the more medical professionals that Mm. are there to assist as well because I'm sure things like mental health and physical health play a really, really big part. Oh, that's so interesting. I guess to find out, and I feel like this might be a little bit tricky. I think migration law isn't one of those ones that's very, you know, tech heavy for us to know what's kind of happening in the future. But do you have any idea on what are some of the exciting developments that are coming up? Are there new types of visas, new laws, new regulations? What I guess is happening in the area for students to kind of keep an eye on if they are interested? I mean, COVID pretty much turned the world of immigration law upside down with border restrictions and that's like a daily process for us that we're monitoring when our borders will actually reopen and how that's going to impact lots of clients. But probably the big, even more immediate, we've got the federal budget soon to be announced and that always has a big impact on immigration law, visa caps and like key priority areas for the government. So that's something that we're kind of waiting for that will come out tomorrow and we'll need to quickly start analysing that and applying that to clients. But I mean, it's pretty much daily. We share migration amendments every day, every second day of things that the lawyers need to review and apply to the work they're doing. So yeah, I think probably the budget, but then COVID more generally. When will this vaccine rollout be completed or, you know, substantially completed? And when will our borders start to reopen and how will that start to impact all of our clients? So yeah, there's going to be a big 12 months for sure. It has continued to be. The last 12 months have been quite intense with really, really rapid change and I'm sure the next 12 months won't be any different. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like a busy, busy like area to be in, but also a time, a busy time for this area of law. But I did, I thought it was really interesting. And I think that little insight is really handy for students to kind of know that, you know, if you are a grad in migration law in a few months, this is something that you might be looking at working on, which is really cool. I guess to round out the episode a little bit, we'll turn more to what students can do if they are interested in this area. Yeah. What are maybe some skills that you think students that are interested in working in migration law should have or could work to developing? Okay, there's lots of things, I think. I suppose <laughs> it's a people-focused area of law. So, you know, people that can talk to people and those sort of client interviewing skills are really important. Being able to extract the key information from people, as you say, maybe with physical health, mental health challenges, unfamiliar with the law, maybe English as a second language or you're using an interpreter. So being able to build a rapport and communicate with clients is one of the top skills. Perhaps another is, you know, being very detail oriented as well. So you need to really have perhaps not a love of black letter law. I wouldn't say I have that, but always going back to the regulations, the Migration Act, checking policy and really having that kind of key eye for detail, I think is extremely important. And then I suppose, I mean, it's not quite a skill, but you have to be passionate in this area. I don't think that you could keep getting up every day and having a go at 
and working in this area if you didn't really in the end have a passion for the clients you're working for and for this area. It's really interesting. And I actually was reflecting on something you mentioned a little bit before, but it, it kind of highlighted to me how central migration law is to everything that we do, especially if you're interacting with things like the budget, uh, economics focused, and then you're interacting with like employment. It's kind of central to everything, I guess, like you said, because people are involved. So I'm sure people skills are really key to what you do. I guess to end this episode, did you just have any general advice for students that are you know, going through that job application process, whether it's at a graduate level or even clerkships or yeah, maybe a couple of years into their career. Did you have any advice for people that are maybe one looking to apply at WLW Migration Lawyers, but also just more broadly something, just any advice? Yeah, I mean, I think that immigration law is an area that you can really get experience and exposure to through volunteering. So I would have to do a plug for considering volunteering at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre or at Refugee Legal. But also a lot of the CLCs have programs or services that are designed to service migrants and that have an overlap with migration law, even if you're not actually delivering services directly about visas. And I think that DLC volunteering, even if it's through a night clinic, if it's alongside the work that you're doing, because it perhaps isn't an area of law that's for everybody. And I think that you might want to sort of get a little bit of insight into the types of issues and the types of demands that this area has. But it's such a great area to work in and we need more wonderful, passionate migration lawyers in the sector. So I encourage people, if this is an area that interests you, there are lots of wonderful firms out there, you know, and the law, there's great, you know, um, committees on the, at the Law Institute that maybe would be of interest to people. There's the Migration Law Reform Committee and the Refugee Law Reform Committee. I know Australian Lawyers for Human Rights have subcommittees that focus on these areas too. And there's a lot of not-for-profits out there that work on refugee issues. So I think, you know, if people are interested, getting some experience in those areas would, you know, be really personal rewarding and also really intellectually challenging for people. That's just really handy advice for anyone is to try and give things that you are interested in a bit of a go, whether that is like volunteering or a part-time job, whatever it might be. I think that that is really, really good advice just in general. But yeah, thank you so, so much. I think we'll have lots of people interested in migration law after listening <laughs> to this episode and the really valuable work that you do and your firm does. And it's great to kind of hear about what that culture is like, how you manage all of that you know, the the ups and downs that you, like you were saying, and what migration law might look like in the next couple of months. So thank you so much for your insight, Jess. It's been lovely to chat. Thank you so much for inviting me today. Thank you for listening to this episode. To keep up with the remaining firms in this season, subscribe to Behind the Grad podcast wherever you listen to new episodes and episodes will be released on Mondays and Wednesdays. And don't forget to follow Behind the Grind Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. All of these links are in your show notes. That's it from us, so keep an ear out for new episodes.